healing is possible. We share stories of people everywhere who have healed from their diagnoses. Powered by HealthRevolution.org I'm your host, Dr. Anup Kumar. Welcome to the Healing is Possible podcast. My guest today is Kumar Bagroria. Kumar is founder of NeuroLeap, a company leveraging brain interface tech to help people based on the principles of neuroplasticity, operant conditioning, and self-regulation. Kumar, please share with us some stories of healing using your technology. Um, Anup, uh, first off, thank you for inviting me to the show. Um, you know, I'm a huge believer in healing through alternative uh, means. And uh, it's a shame that when we say alternative, it only just means non-mainstream medicine. Uh, we should be uh, considering how the alternative actually should become the mainstream. Uh, because that's when you're literally listening to the body and the signals that the body is giving you. So using our technology, and as you rightly mentioned, you know, we, we are based on three principles. So one is neuroplasticity, which as you know, is the brain's ability to change, right? And, and the second one is uh, operant conditioning, which as we all know on how we can condition the brain using different stimuli, primarily risk, uh, primarily reward and punishment, right? And uh, the third one is self-regulation, which is, uh, you know, the ability of the human brain to make choices, make decisions, which are good for it in the long term, although in the short term, they might not be, you know, the easiest ones to make. So how do you think for the long term and regulate yourself better? We've had, you know, touch with tremendous success. So for example, uh, one of the big uh, issues globally is anxiety uh, when we speak of mental health. And um, right from the age of 10 or 11, we see clients who are faced with severe anxiety. And the moment they're in their teens, um, pediatric psychiatrists, even in India, are now prescribing medications. And right off, of course, till the, you know, adult years, you know, it's become the next pandemic, right? I mean, people are popping anti-anxiety pills as if it's just uh, peppermint. But um, what we've seen is people have been able to regulate their subconscious brain without making too much of an effort. So, for example, people who've had debilitating anxiety, that is, they, they can't even get out of bed. They can't even go out and conduct a meeting or go to school or go to work or even sit with their um, friends or family because of hyperventilation, cramps, uh, a feeling that as if they've got a heart attack or they're just going to faint or they feel dizzy, uh, they feel they've got vertigo, so on and so forth. Uh, or at the chronic level, you know, people who've just not been able to get a good night's sleep for months, for years. And the only way they've been able to manage is with medication, you know, sedatives. These sort of clients, just by using a technological approach, wherein first we map their brains, which is get an understanding of 
all the different frequencies and how are they operating in terms of amplitude, power, coherence, and getting a sense of where the dysregulations are, what is causing that behavior. So as you know, neuroscience now has a fairly good understanding of the kind of hubs, the nodes, the networks in the brain, which are responsible for the flight or fight response, for the anxiety response. And why is it in a state where without a major trigger, it is being still triggered, right? So once we have that understanding, then it's a, then it's a process of allowing clients to get feedback about their instantaneous brain waves. So the process is fairly straightforward. They sit in a comfortable office chair with a bunch of sensors on their head, reading their brain waves in real time. And we, we place a television screen in front of them. And all of this is connected by a computer. So we are giving their brain feedback on the television screen audiovisually on how they are performing. So if, if their brainwave patterns are showing a semblance of improvement from a protocol that we've created from the baseline data that we had done when they mapped their brain, then they are being rewarded. So the reward could simply be just a light, a sound or a numeric score being given, but that's a cue. That's a cue to let them know that you've been rewarded. And the reward is not on the basis of any conscious activity they do. So you're pretty much just sitting, looking at a screen and your subconscious brain is the one doing all the work. So you, you never really know why you've been rewarded. You just know that you've been rewarded and the reward keeps going on and off, on and off. And we keep adjusting the benchmark. So it's a numerical benchmark that we keep adjusting to ensure that you don't get too many rewards and you don't get too few. So just the right amount of rewards where the subconscious brain is engaged, is enticed, and hence the operant conditioning is happening in that duration. I don't know if I'm um, you know, coherent here. If you're inspired by this video and want to take your health or the health and healing of a loved one to the next level, visit healthrevolution.org slash jumpstart. Sign up, learn to activate the most powerful engines of health and healing. healthrevolution.org slash jumpstart. Yes, makes sense. So it sounds like what they're watching on the screen may be scenes that may induce certain feels, feelings of anxiety, like some of the- No. No. Actually, there's nothing going on on the screen except a light and a sound, nice. which is on the basis of uh, their brain wave. So we are not inducing any uh, scenes. We are not. Uh, so we are not stimulating the brain okay. to produce a certain reaction. Okay. We are looking at the steady state of the brain uh -huh. and saying if the steady state is performing at a certain level, and that level needs to be slightly better than the baseline which we have mapped. And if it is better in that fraction of a second, then please show the cue on the TV screen, which means you've been rewarded. And this, this determination of what is better, uh, what is better function, is that's based on research 
that tells us what areas of the brain tend to be activated in, for example, anxiety, or yes. when a person is overwhelmed, what tends to be activated. So when those areas are not as active, perhaps, then that is reinforced, thus making a connection between the subconscious activity and the conscious reward. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's pretty much the idea. The only difference is, you know, most of these areas are active pretty much all the time, right? So it's not so much on whether or not they're active. It's more about the kind of brainwave patterns that are visible in real time. So for example, if we see there's a certain frequency, which is overtly powerful, and it shouldn't be so. And when we find that those frequencies are now slightly you know, more normal, then we will reward it, right? So the, the, uh, it's not a binary response in, the, in terms of activity or no activity. It's more nuanced in terms of the level of activity. What do you see in terms of a person who's anxious, who, in my view, there's also a cause in their experience or at least some associated experience in their life that is associated with this anxiety that is bringing out this anxiety, whether it's something acute that's happening now, or maybe it was something from 30 years ago that happened that is still kind of replaying in the subconscious mind, right? Sure. So if a person is, is going through this program, I would think, and if they're actually improving, then in some way that also will be being addressed, at least in their own experience some way. Do you, do you see this? Do people report that these things are coming up for them? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. So for several people, the anxiety, like you rightly mentioned, is a response to past trauma or past experiences. You know, uh, trauma doesn't necessarily need to be physical. It could be emotional, cognitive. You know, uh, somebody could have been shocked by a sudden passing of a loved one or a, a really bad experience you had on stage or performing public, so on and so forth. And many times in they're not able to vocalize the cause of the anxiety, right? And this is where we believe technology is really able to help people because you don't necessarily need to be self-aware to be able to heal yourself using this method, right? You don't have to revisit that traumatic experience again and again and say, let me try and overcome it, right? So if the neural pathways, if these networks now start behaving better, just from within because they've been rewarded every time they behave better. And they've not been rewarded when they're not behaving well. So you've conditioned the brain over a series of sessions to not go back to that traumatic experience at the smallest trigger at the first instance. Just as you don't go back to a great memory instantaneously, there's no need for you to be able to go back to a triggering experience or a traumatic experience instantaneously. So that sort of normalcy starts setting in. And do people take that further? Is that something you see people addressing? Because in that case, that seed is still there, right? So yes. we're, we're, the person is becoming more, let's say functional, or it's more helpful for them in the course of the day. Um, at the same time, that is still there. So is, do you see people still engaging that in some way, revisiting that or addressing that or engaging it in some way? Or is that something that's now, you know, left behind and they're moving forward? 
It's it's actually a bit of both and depends on the individual, depends on that incident um, and how relevant it is in their day-to-day -day lives, right? But uh, what we do find is that we, we use the same approach for specifically addressing PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Hmm. And we find ever so often that the anxiety may or may not overlap with the PTSD. It could just be functional anxiety, right? And um, which is out of control. So pre-exam stress, right? We all will have it, but if it gets out of hand, then it needs to be addressed. And it may, may or may not come from some past trauma or failure. Or, or for example, phobias. So, you know, again, they are not usually coming out of some past experience. It's just the way people have conditioned themselves about maybe certain reptiles or insects or an activity. And how can we help them resolve that? But to your point on PTSD, we find that people have, a, you know, a common response is that they're still aware and it's still in their memory but they are not triggered by it. I see. So, so in a they way... They still remember the incident, but it doesn't trigger them in a negative manner. So in a way, they can come closer to the experience without being overwhelmed. Yes, huh? yes. I say this because, you know, in, in meditation, it's, it's a similar kind of process. So I have found that in meditation, sometimes memories will come up from a long time ago, you know, things that we don't remember because the mind is going deeper and deeper into its many layers. And it's almost like, you know, you, you hear about desensitization, desensitization therapy, right? Where I've never experienced it, but I've heard like somebody who's afraid of spiders, for example, somebody might um, maybe talk about a spider or mention a spider. And then maybe eventually there's a picture of a spider somewhere on the wall. And in this way, in a sense, they're coming closer and closer while knowing that they're safe. And so, you know, this is, it's not necessarily desensitization, but still the idea seems to be that as a result of reinforcing a state of function that is more helpful for this person, um, they tend to bring that wherewithal to these situations, even if they're coming closer to these prior traumatic experiences. Absolutely. And I would go a step further you know, for certain clients we've seen where their job or day-to-day -day life demands them to have those experiences again and again, but it is still not leading to desensitization, right? Um, so they are almost reliving not just the past trauma, but they're getting triggered on a daily, weekly basis. So if we are able to normalize that behavior you know, the neural pathways so that they are not getting triggered, even with the fresh impetus, that's the real sort of victory for them. Hmm. So it, it seems like, you know, I, I saw the website and, the, and you mentioned a couple, um, a couple experiences that can also be medicalized and put in terms of diagnosis. Like somebody could say an anxiety disorder, somebody could say ADHD, somebody could say PTSD, right? So we, we medicalize these experiences. At the same time, if I'm not misunderstanding, it sounds like this is something that just applies in general to people, that it's not really diagnosis sure. dependent, but sure. it's more about just 
anybody's functional state. Is that right? Absolutely. The, and, and we don't honestly believe in those diagnoses, uh, to be fair. Um, it is more so that people can understand that we can help them if they have such a diagnosis in the past. I see. Right. Um, let's look at anxiety. You know, anxiety is a natural response. We need to have certain amount of anxiety to keep us alive. We need to have certain amount of anxiety to keep us performing, to keep us on discipline, right? It is a, it is a way to stay on track for millions and millions of people. When does it become a problem? When it's lopsided, when that is your primary response to any stimuli or any uh, decision-making goal, and you're using anxiety to, or uh, under anxiety um, to do that, right? So if we are able to start looking at, let's say the anxiety network, right? And say, hey, when we do the brain mapping, if we see that the anxiety network is dysregulated, or let's say there's too much noise there, then we know that this person will have problems in clear decision-making, uh, performing under pressure, or will have associated disorders, you know, whether it's uh, irritable bowel syndrome or gut-related issues or sleep-related issues, anything that goes on with anxiety. Hmm. And 99% of the time, without even asking the client, we are able to say, hey, you know, you've got an anxiety issue. Now, what are the symptoms that you're facing? Are you, uh, do you start palpitating? Do you start uh, losing sleep? Are you losing appetite? Are you having, you know, those sort of issues? And they'll say, yes, you know, how did you know? So you're absolutely right that the, you know, when we say anxiety, it's not really the medical diagnosis that we are concerned about. It is what the client's understanding of their own symptom is. Now, here's an interesting question. You know, what is seen as a problematic state of mind or state of brain in one culture can be seen as advantageous in another one or even within a single culture, right? Certain people who function differently, think differently in ways that would be considered atypical or abnormal sure. as a result of that can do great things for the society also. Sure. Right? So this is, this is interesting. Uh, I, I know the, the people that you work with are self-selecting because they come to you because they feel that there is a problem, of course. So that, sure. that's a different issue, but uh, just from a philosophical perspective and from your perspective as a founder of this tech company, how do you see that? Because I would imagine that certain mappings of the brain that are considered abnormal or not good, quote unquote, would actually be highly advantageous in other settings or in, in different operating environments. What do you think about that? Absolutely. And you know, that's, uh, that's an issue we see, you know, I'd say a few times a week. So ever so often when we'll have a client who's a high performer, maybe in sports or business or cinema, so on and so forth. And when we map the brain and we say, okay, well, these are the outlier activities we see. And when we do a debrief or rather a, a consultation on understanding if there are any issues being faced out of that outlier activity. And if we find that there is no symptomatic behavior caused because of the outlier activity, then we don't, you know, don't treat anything. 
you know, um, because that person may be a beneficiary of being an outlier, right? Um, but to be honest, in the last six years, there are few and far that we've come across because uh, our, our, our database of, um, you know, brain data is just so massive now. It's uh, terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data. So um, it's, you, you really have to be like one in a hundred million hmm. to be an extreme outlier and be benefiting it from hmm. it. Yeah, that would make sense because we're generally in the same society. So, you know, it's, there's nobody, I, I assume there's nobody coming to you from another planet or, yeah. or from, you know, or even like, you know, living in Antar some, some place where the culture would be so different um, yeah. that, that it would be market. And also, furthermore, it's self-selecting, as we said, you know, the people that are coming because they already perceive a problem and there is, sure. there's some kind of discrepancy. Okay, great. So let me also add there, um, you know, a lot of the people who come to us don't even have a problem, right? And, and this variety is coming because uh, they just want to understand themselves better. Hmm. Um, you know, the smarter you are, you've got certain conceptions about yourself. You feel yourself aware and you're connected and you know yourself, but you also realize that the way to higher achievement or continuous growth is to keep pushing the boundaries. And, and the way to push, the, push your boundaries is to understand yourself better. So just as you go out and get an annual physical or you check your you know, heart rate regularly after you exercise or your you know, blood oxygen or what have you, um, why don't we go out and you know, get a brain map done to see what really makes us what we are, right? And uh, surprisingly, many times they find some some things which are really astounding. So we will tell them things saying that, hey, we find, you know, one, two, three, four, five, we find that you've probably got uh, some issues which are unresolved. You probably have some sort of mood disorder, et cetera. And initially they'll be like, no, um, I haven't really noticed. Nobody's ever told me that. And, and then the spouse who's sitting next to them in the consulting room will say, of course you do. You know, we, I've been saying that forever, but you don't realize it. And these are exactly the points. So, so there are several times when people are either not fully aware or they are in denial, right? So, and typically I find this for things like anger management, mood, uh, addiction. Um, every single day, I will have clients coming in who don't believe they are addicts, who don't believe that they are alcoholics because they are functional. And um, so they'll say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm having five, six, seven glasses or downing a full bottle, but tomorrow if I don't want to do that, I won't do it. But uh, the, in the evening when I start the bottle, then I, then I have to finish it. Otherwise I can't go to sleep. So, um, when we look at their brain scans and we are saying, hey, um, do you find a problem with obsessiveness, compulsiveness? Do you find that you're not able to have self-control? Um, do you find that you have an addictive streak? And they'll say, oh no, uh, there's no addiction at all. And then when you dig in deeper, this sort of behavior comes up to the uh, surface. Hmm. So where do you see the future of brain-mind interface. That's really 
in a sense what we're talking about you know we're trying to approximate these two sides of the spectrum mind body you know the the subtle and the gross so where do you see the future of this technology where in which direction is it going so i think there are there are going to be several tangent um, that will be drawn from where we are um, one, I think there, there is already going on a lot of research and still more needs to be done on what really is consciousness. It, it, it is the bit, uh, biggest medical mis mystery, right? And uh, I think there's going to be a huge amount of uh, strides made in the next, uh, hopefully, five or 10 years um, on what is consciousness. And that, I believe, will help us solve not just a lot of issues in terms of mental health, but also in terms of performance, um, behavior, uh, not just from a health perspective, but uh, you know, helping people lead better lives, make better decisions, achieve more. Um, the second aspect I think uh, has to do with um, not just the brain mind, but the mind and the body, right? So as you know, there's a, a there's a very strong gut-brain connection and which still hasn't really been researched enough. We don't know enough about it. We don't know how to utilize it better. We don't know the reflexivity between the gut and the brain. Yes, we know that you know, they both impact each other, but to what extent and in what manner can they be um, you know, contributing to each other and contributing to better health? I think that is going to be a second big area of uh, major research. Um, thirdly, I believe that we will enter a time where you will be able to communicate with others um, just using technology on your brain, on your skull rather. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen within the decade. Hmm. Um, most of the technology already exists in some shape and form. It just needs to be, you know, tested and you know, uh, made sure it's safe and efficacious. But um, these are some of the areas which I think um, we will see great strides and progress in. And as a fallout, uh, when these things come together, I hope we will see a new era of medicine where one's own behavior and the surroundings and the understanding of how our surroundings, how our culture, how our environment impacts the mind, which in turn impacts the body. Once we have that better understanding, I think we'll see a new era of medicine, especially for chronic uh, ailments and diseases. Yeah, I agree. The understanding of consciousness, the exploration of what that is, is a pivotal question and I really see this coming to, um, there's going to be a major debate about this in society. And I think, I think people are gonna be taking sides pretty strongly because on one hand, you know, this issue of awareness and self-awareness and what consciousness is, is one of the oldest topics, you know, in history in humankind, as you know, in, in the Indian tradition, there are encyclopedias on this yeah. topic, uh, not only what it is, but exploring it from every angle, from the physical angle, the mental angle, every angle. And it's, it's incorporated into all of the, the culture. If you look at the, the culture of India and how it developed, 
that knowledge is actually instilled in all of these, you know, the dance forms and the story forms and everything. And on the other hand, we're also now developing technology that helps us to get closer to those discoveries, right? That, that is starting to bring those two sides of the cliff closer and closer together. And so the question is going to be, you know, from, a, from an industry perspective, you know, the, and I'm not speaking about your company, but generally speaking, from the industry perspective, it's going to be the, the easy pill is to move towards simply tech. Uh, the problem with that, almost like a sprained ankle, is that if I use a crutch any more than I need it, my ankle is going to weaken, actually, because I'm Absolutely. using it more than I need it. And there's a tremendous amount of discernment that the individual will need. And, and that doesn't happen individually, right? It comes from a community, it comes from leaders in our society, it comes from everybody to help discern what is actually the optimal level of support or a way to use a particular technology or way to use a pill or way to use food or way to use exercise, right? We can exercise too much and have muscle breakdown, too much muscle breakdown, for example. So there's always an optimal use for things. In our society, where we are looking for the quick pill, my concern is that the industry side is going to take it too far to just, here's the tech solution. You know, yes. what do you say to that? Because it's going to be a huge issue coming up. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, we are very cognizant of that. So for example, speaking of ours, let me clarify, we don't encourage people to do technology-based sessions unless they really need it. So even with clients where we've done a brain mapping and we find that they have a symptom but if that symptom is more to do with their lifestyle or you know, the environment, then we'll simply suggest changes to the lifestyle and changing the environment, right? Having said that, I completely agree with you. So you know, clearly there's a lot of uh, technology already available. People are, people are almost selling snake oil that you can wear a headband to meditate better. You can wear a headband to understand yourself better and connected to a mobile app. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. But uh, Anupa, I think it's also, uh, you know, the way the world has operated with any new technological innovation, uh, you will see this curve of a lot of Me Too products, a lot of snake oil coming in the market, and people will have to use their own judgment to say, A, should I be even using it? Forget about whether it's efficacious or not. Do I need it, right? Uh, and second step then is to say, yes, I need it. And I need to find out what really is good for me, what's not really good for me. So I, I, would, I would say it's going to be pretty much like the opioid addiction in a way. You know, how much, of, how much of it do you really need? And how much do you really rely on your own body's healing ability and your uh, ability to in, increase your pain threshold, right? So you're absolutely right. I think that, that um, the challenge is going to be there. Uh, but we can all hope that uh, people will be responsible in not misusing the technology. And more importantly, they should understand that, you know, technology has its limitations. You know, when you were asking about the examples or case studies, I didn't probably give because I went to the science. So you can ask me that question towards the end and I'll probably try and give you a, a few you know, simple case studies. 
So Kumar, the name of the show is Healing is Possible. And when you hear this phrase, healing is possible, what comes to mind? Yeah. You know, I, I know the first thing that comes to mind is there's several clients that we've helped who were told that they need to be on antidepressants for life, who were told that if they don't take a sleeping pill, they will, they will not be able to sleep, who were told that if they don't take their ADHD medication, they will not be able to sit normally in class. And all of them, we've been able to reverse. So we've had clients who've been on antidepressants for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And we help them through a process of taper, whilst at the same time, parallelly using our technology to help the mood network or the post-traumatic stress dis uh, disorder network come to normalcy. And we've had tremendous results. They, they are five years into their lives without antidepressants. We help them get over the withdrawal uh, or people who've been on uh, sleeping pills. So for example, one of our clients has been on sleeping pills for maybe 35, 40 years. And uh, even with that, he had maxed out the dosage. So the doctor said, now I can't give you a heavier dosage than this. And he would sleep not more than four or five hours. After six months of therapy with us, they've gotten off the sleeping pill. There is no withdrawal and they sleep for seven to eight hours of normal restful sleep. Children who've been on uh, ADHD meds, it's almost like a pandemic, you know, uh, colleges, universities, campuses across the world, you have kids popping in uh, these pills just so that they can have better attention and focus even if they don't have a diagnosed uh, ADHD problem. And over a period of time, it doesn't allow them to function normally if they are not on the pill. And same experience, we've been able to help these teenagers or young adults get off that medication and have normal attention spans, normal behavior, no hyperactivity. They're able to concentrate and focus on studies, on extracurricular activities, whatever it is that they'd like to do. Um, one of the interesting areas we've seen is uh, migraine, headaches, and uh, tinnitus. As you know, there is no pharmacological cure for tinnitus, and neither there is one for migraine. For both of these, we've been able to normalize several clients' brainwave patterns that they are no longer getting the kind of debilitating migraine that they would get earlier. So instead of a migraine headache, which would last a full day or two days, and they would just be popping in painkillers, and this was happening, let's say, once in 15 days or once in a week, they get a normal headache, which is once in three or six months for a few hours. They don't even take a painkiller. They just relax and calm themselves, and that's about it. On tinnitus, we've had clients... Uh, and rightfully so, they've been told that there is no cure, except maybe using technology, you know, which gives them some white noise to try and drown the uh, tinnitus. But we've been able to completely reverse it, where now they have zero perception of tinnitus. They have an absolutely normal lifestyle, normal sleep. They are able to go about doing all those activities which they were not able to do because of tinnitus. 
because as you know, tinnitus after a prolonged period of time starts uh, leading to hearing loss as well. And, um, you know, pronounced audio uh, sort of perception in certain cases. So they are not able to use a hairdryer. They can't go to a party. They can't celebrate with loud music. And that really, you know, puts them in a, in a very bad sort of quality of life because you start getting uh, reserved from all of the sort of family activities, social activities, just because you've got this ringing or buzzing in your ear. And once we've been able to normalize that, the quality of life is just normal, it's just fantastic. So we've had some, uh, you know, tremendous uh, sort of success stories, almost transformational and um, clients and their families will come in and say, well, you know, you've given me a new son or you've given me a new daughter or you've given me a new life. And, um, you know, once they start understanding the side effects of the medications they were on. So until they stop the medication, go through the phase of withdrawal and then realize what were the side effects. And, and that itself is really energizing and transformational. stories shared here are the experiences of the speakers. They're not intended as medical advice. Join our network or simply share your story at healthrevolution.org. Healing is possible.